Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Welcome in, everybody, episode 536 of the podcast in Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday, May 23rd, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody had a beautiful, great spring weekend here in late May. And I hope everybody's ready for a loaded Monday episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Here's the deal. As I just said, it is late May and the stories, they keep on coming. We are going to open the follow-up and the fallout from last Wednesday, Thursday, Friday's crazy back and forth between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. I have some interesting thoughts because I do believe that something has happened over the last couple days that has surprised me. How this story has been covered, and I think the narrative has been spun in an unfair way that I do want to get into on this show. From there, We'll talk a little high school football. We don't talk high school football recruiting much on this show, but Arch Manning, the, the nephew of Eli and Peyton, son of Cooper Manning, grandson of Arch, has set up three visits for June. Are we getting close to a commitment? Where should he go? We will discuss all that. And then we'll wrap with a little bit of college hoops. My boy Mike F. And Woodson got some huge news this weekend. Uh, by the way, as my Twitter account was hacked on Friday, but that's neither here nor there. Huge news on Friday, Indiana basketball in the news. They might have the best team in the Big Ten, and we'll wrap a key transfer. Maybe coming back to college basketball, I think he is coming back to college basketball, and it's an important story because he could be the missing piece on the number one team in the country. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is the fallout and follow-up from the craziness of last week's Jimbo Fisher versus Nick Saban debacle, okay? And by now, you all know kind of how it all was all set up, and we certainly talked about it on last Friday's show. Obviously, it all started Wednesday night, booster event, Nick Saban talking to his boosters, talking about a lot of different things. But in the process, what happened? Nick Saban, of course, dropped the phrase and dropped the line, oh yeah, but Texas A&M, bought every single player in their recruiting class. We don't buy anybody here. We were all shocked by it, and then we were equally shocked by the follow-up with Jimbo Fisher. 
He goes to the podium the following morning. Uh, he is talking to the media, to America, to whoever. And he basically throws Nick Saban completely under the bus, says he's a narcissist, says if you guys think this guy is God, go ahead and see how God got his deal done. Uh, he said that Nick Saban needs to be slapped. It was incredible. And that was essentially where I left off on the show on Friday. And I really kind of shared my opinions about the whole situation there. At the same time, really since I recorded, something different has happened. The story has evolved in a way I wasn't expecting, and it really stems from basically a Nick Saban interview that he did, I guess it was Thursday afternoon, sort of as I was recording, and when I was recording on Thursday, it was really about the Nick Saban uh, comment, Jimbo Fisher's follow-up, but what has since become the story, I believe, is the Nick Saban interview that came after that. And what I found interesting was, for people who do not know, Nick Saban, after the Jimbo Fisher response, Nick Saban essentially did a half-hearted apology tour. He goes on SiriusXM with a buddy of mine, Jacob Hester, Bobby Carpenter were the two guys, former players. Jacob Hester was actually recruited and played for Nick Saban. And he does, in my opinion, a half-hearted interview with a half-hearted apology where he basically says three things of note. One, I apologize to Jimbo Fisher. Didn't mean to call out anybody. Two, I also never accused Texas A&M of cheating. And three, he said, other than naming schools individually, well, I don't really take back anything I said. And what was interesting to me was the response that that interview from Nick Saban got. Because to me, when I look at this story, it is basically, if you want to call it a play in three parts, that's kind of what it has been. Part one was the sticker shock of Nick Saban saying what he did on Wednesday night. Two was the Jimbo Fisher response. And then three was the response to Nick Saban, which I found kind of jarring. I found it kind of jarring because when I saw the Nick Saban apology, it didn't really move the needle for me. But it seemed as though the response by most people, whether it's fans of other schools that either aren't A&M or aren't Alabama, media and other people that have followed this story is well now I'm back on Nick Saban's side and what Nick Saban said made sense and Nick Saban was talking to his boosters and Nick Saban was talking about the college future college football and I'll even take it a step further I saw some people then retroactively going back and saying that Jimbo Fisher was out of line for some of the things that he said on Thursday morning. People in the media, people that cover college football, people that I respect, people that I've been reading for years. And I bring this all up because to me, and this is the topic of the day, and this is what I want to get into, I am stunned at the reaction to Nick Saban's half-hearted apology, and it made me think of one thing. I obviously do a lot of college basketball on this show, and for years, you guys and girls have told me that Coach K is covered in a different way than everybody else in college basketball. That he gets away with stuff and he doesn't get called out for stuff that everybody else would. John Calipari would. Jim Beheim would. Uh, I don't know. Dan Hurley would. Mick Cronin would. But that Coach K gets away with this stuff. And I had the exact same thought about Nick Saban. I had the exact same thought about Nick Saban where it almost feels like we work in and live in a media climate. And I am not one. And I think that's why we have success on this show where you're not allowed to criticize certain figures, and certain figures can never be criticized, can never be touched, can never be whatever. And so my biggest takeaway is, why can't two things about Nick Saban be true? 
why can't we acknowledge that he was talking to boosters, that he wants what's best for the future of college football, and that he was also a big jerk that should not have said what he said about Texas A&M and to a smaller degree, Jackson State as well. And so let's dive into it. Let's get into it because, again, I, I, the reaction to this is fascinating, and it's not very often in my career that a reaction to a story this big surprises me, but this one genuinely does. And, and let me start with defending Nick Saban to a degree here. As I just said a minute ago, I do understand the context of what was going on. I do understand that, first of all, he was speaking to a group of his boosters, okay? This video was never supposed to get out, it was never supposed to get viral, and it was never supposed to go to Jackson State, to Texas A&M, to Jimbo Fisher, to Deion Sanders, to whoever. I understand also that Nick Saban was basically kind of unofficially delivering a message to his boosters as well. Listen, this is where I believe college football is, but this is where I believe NIL is going. We may get to a time, we just had the number two recruiting class and we didn't pay for anybody. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's another conversation for another day. But what he was essentially saying was, we don't pay for anybody and we had the number two class in the country, but I don't know if we can possibly continue to have the success that we have had recruiting, which of course leads to success on the field, if we don't play this game. And so I do understand that Nick Saban was essentially trying to rally the troops. He was trying to say, look, I'm not saying we need a $30 million collective, but we may need one pretty soon. If you want to keep winning at the highest level, we may need this collective. So I understand that. And I also understand that at the end of the day, Nick Saban has what's in the best interest of college football at, in his heart and at his core, okay? I do get that. And I do understand that everything that Nick Saban has said, whenever he says, do you really want college football to be this? He struggles with it. He gets frustrated by it. And then he adapts and dominates anyway. It happened with the spread offense. He talked about it a year and a half ago with the transfer portal saying, you sure you want to let all these guys come and go? Because we're going to keep all our best players, then we're going to go get three, four, five difference makers out of the portal, and we're going to be even better than you thought we could be. And I think he's there with NIL as well. So I understand all of that from Nick Saban's perspective. What I don't understand, though, is everybody else in the media totally giving him a pass for everything else that happened on, thir on, on Thursday, on Wednesday night into Thursday, and then the apology on, fr on Friday, Thursday night. First of all, can you spare me the apology? We all know Nick Saban, like, like, like the idea that people in the media are like, well, you know, I mean, he apologized. What else do you want from him? Like, yeah, I guess he apologized because he got caught because he had to. I mean, think about it just from the most basic level. Think about how bad Nick Saban has to screw up for Greg Sankey to come down on him. I love Greg Sankey. I think he should be the next commissioner of the NCA. I don't think he'd ever take the job, president of the NCA, whatever. But Greg Sankey, Nick Saban's his golden goose. It's his cash cow. The SEC offices are based in Birmingham. You know how much you have to screw up as the Alabama coach to get a, a, a public reprimand from the SEC commissioner. So spare me with the apology. And then finally, by the way, spare me with the, uh, I never accuse them of cheating. Yeah, you did. Because NCAA rules say that right now, uh, NIL cannot be a recruiting enticement and it cannot be a, a pay-for-play scenario. Well, if they bought recruits, that means that you did in fact accuse them of cheating. And if you want to say you didn't accuse him of cheating because the, NI, the NCA rules are vague, whatever, well, the Texas state laws are not vague at all. And Jimbo Fisher talked about this in his press conference on Thursday morning. 
He goes, for us to be paying recruits, for us to be paying recruits, it means that we broke state law. And players and their families broke state law to take that money. So Jimbo Fisher was not even... People want to crush Jimbo Fisher. He was mad, and he was mad at Nick Saban, no doubt. But he's also fighting for his recruits and fighting for his family, saying, if you're accusing this of happening, then you're accusing my players, my student-athletes, and their parents of breaking Texas state law. So spare me the, well, he, I didn't really accuse them of cheating. Yeah, I guess by technicality you didn't because the NCAA rules are vague. But if Jimbo Fisher got that mad and you had to apologize, you clearly said something wrong. It reminds me of the tweet that I sent out on Thursday. Nick Saban saying in this case that he did not accuse Texas A&M of cheating. That's like somebody being on a diet, eating a big piece of apple pie for dessert, half of the pie, and then saying, yeah, but I put Diet Cool Whip on it, so that's not really cheating on my diet. Yeah, by technicality, it's not cheating, but, but, but we all know you're full of crap, and we all know that Nick Saban is full of crap. But to me, what this really comes down to is the coverage of Nick Saban. I just do not understand how anyone in the media, how anyone other than an Alabama fan, and we have Alabama fans listen to this. By the way, Alabama fans, fight for your coach, fight for your program, fight for the future of college football. But I don't understand how anybody else who is not an Alabama fan can possibly defend Nick Saban on this one. The bottom line is at the end of the day, what he did is exactly what I told you last week. He took unsubstantiated reports, turned them into facts, and turned, you know, accused a lot of people of a lot of things that we have absolutely no proof on. I've told you a million times, I'm not going to get into it again. Do I believe that at the end of the day, NIL in some form or fashion was involved in the Texas A&M recruiting pitch? I absolutely do because it's involved in every single recruiting pitch for every single high-level player at the Power 5 level and football, Power 6 level and basketball, whatever. But do I believe that was the only factor in Texas A&M's top class? I do not. And to take it a step further, what Nick Saban accused Texas A&M of doing, we have zero proof of. This is the part that frustrates me from the Nick Saban comments and from the people that are still trying to defend Nick Saban. He just took a made-up internet report that has no factual basis to it and tried to put it out as accurate, as factual, as what Texas A&M definitively did. Remember, this report, as I said on last show, it did not come from The Athletic. It did not come from ESPN. It did not come from Pete Thamel. It did not come from Bruce Feldman. It did not come from uh, ABC News or the New York Times or even TMZ. It came from an Oklahoma message board that was then aggregated into a website called Bro Bible, that there is a $30 million fund for all of Texas A&M's recruits. That is the only place that it ever was reported, if you even want to call it reported, that's where this whole story started from. So for Nick Saban to try to turn this into a story, for Nick Saban to outright use the term Texas A&M bought players based off that story is absolutely ridiculous. And so to me, that is what is especially frustrating about this story. It's, it's the two things that drive me the craziest about the current media landscape. And listen, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I get a lot of stuff wrong, right? Where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We do it on this show every week because I like to own when I miss on stuff, and it's not to say that I am not going to eventually be proven wrong on this story. It's not to say that in a week or a month or a day that something about NIL with Texas A&M might come out that might make me change the story. But as I always tell you, I always say, 
I have to react to what I have in real time, the data and information and facts that I have in real time. And I think that is why most of you guys and girls listen. And I think most of you guys and girls, to some degree, respect me, what I do and what I'm about. I might not always be right, but I don't make up my own facts. I look at the information that we have available, then make my opinions based on the information that we have available, and then I adjust accordingly. I did it, by the way, two years ago with Sean Miller. Every single person in the media was trying to bash Sean Miller and crush Sean Miller and say he should never coach again. I said, look, I don't know all the details, but based on the factual information we have, this guy should be allowed to coach Arizona or at the very least allowed to coach somewhere else. Well, what happened? He got hired this offseason by Xavier after it became clear that what he was accused of is not factually correct. And so to bring it back to Nick Saban, this is the part that frustrates me the most about this whole situation is one, this is the new media landscape that we live in where everybody all the way up to Nick freaking Saban can make up his own facts or cite unfactual reports. But then two, people are trying to defend him. Again, why can't we just say Nick Saban's the greatest coach in college football. He's talking to his boosters. He's trying to raise money. He is worried about the future of college football with unregulated NIL. By the way, you know who else is worried about it? Jimbo Fisher. He talked about it in his press conference. Why can't we say that that is the truth about Nick Saban, but also that he had no right to call out schools individually? And I just don't understand why people in the media are afraid to attack Nick Saban or at least criticize him. This is the thing that drives me crazy about the current media landscape besides the fact that people make up facts. It's the idea that there are certain people that are deemed untouchable, right? We, we, we see this in the NBA all the time. People say that, oh, LeBron, you can't ask a tough question about LeBron or you're going to lose access to him. Who cares if you lose access to him? Our jobs in the media are not to defend or soften or make life easy for the people that we cover. Our job is to ask tough questions, to use the facts, to use the information that we have, right? It's the same with I just talked about with college basketball. Why can't we ask Coach K a tough question? Why can't we criticize him when he's trying to you know, get the 2020 season canceled in the middle of COVID or when he defends Grayson Allen when Grayson Allen doesn't deserve defending? Like, Why can't we be critical of him? And it's the same to me with Nick Saban. I'll give you another example. It just it popped into my head as I'm talking here. Remember over the last like year, the coverage of Ben Simmons, and I know this is very abstract, and I know I'm going in a lot of different directions, but just stay with me here. The coverage of Ben Simmons was absolutely incredible, right? So this guy quits on his team, then refuses to talk to his team, then refuses to show up to camp, then shows up at camp, tanks a practice, uh, then says his back hurts, and only after he says his back hurts and he's cleared by the doctors does he say, I've also been dealing with mental health problems. And I bring it up because the second that Ben Simmons said, I'm dealing with mental health issues, it became, you can't, I mean, you can't criticize Ben Simmons. He's dealing with mental health. And to be clear, I always say it. I take mental health very seriously. My wife works in the mental health field. My sister works in the mental health field. My sister-in-law works in the mental health field. I deal with people every day that work in the mental health field. But just because Ben Simmons says, like, like, we still have to be able to use all of the facts that we have to say, like, wait a second now, is mental health the only issue here with Ben Simmons, or is there something else going on that maybe we should at least question? And it's the same with Nick Saban. We could sit here and say that he cares about the future of college football. We could sit here and say that he cares about, uh, you know, raising money with his boosters, but also say that he was dead wrong on this. It's okay. It's not a big deal. The world will continue to revolve around its axis. Nick Saban is still the greatest coach that's ever lived in the history of college football. 
Alabama's still the preseason favorite going into next year. And as long as Nick Saban's the head coach, Alabama's still going to be the preeminent program in college football. So I don't understand. I haven't understood all weekend long why people felt the need to defend Nick Saban. But the one thing that I will say, it did strike me. It does feel like the coverage has been slanted towards Nick Saban. It does feel like there was a, a, a quick blowback and a quick appreciation of everything that Jimbo Fisher said, and then it immediately defaulted to, well, you know, I mean, Nick Saban, I mean, he did apologize. How critical can we be? I don't really get it. I'm a little bit frustrated by it. I think part of it is there's a lot of people, whether it's in the media or in fans that follow college football that truly believe or want to believe what Nick Saban said that there's no way that Texas A&M could do this legitimately. But then, two, I also just think Nick Saban is covered different, and this is the promise that I'm going to make to you guys and girls. As long as I do this show, as long as I have a YouTube channel, which make sure you're subscribed, we just hit 11,000 subscribers. As long as I have a platform, as long as I'm doing radio, as long as I have a social media feed, as long as I'm talking about sports, I will always use the facts available to me to make judgments on whatever the story is. And as the facts change, I will adjust my opinion, and I'm just going to say it. I feel like I'm the only one in the media doing it, but I think Nick Saban was dead wrong in how he handled this situation over the last couple days. All right, that's what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back, and after just criticizing and crushing Nick Saban, I'm going to actually say some nice things about him because Arch Manning, the nephew of Eli and Peyton, He's the number one high school player in the class of 2023. On Saturday, announced that he has three college visits coming up. He will be a senior this year. His college commitment is coming soon. And this will be the preeminent story in college football recruiting, not only of this year. I think this might be the biggest college football recruitment that we have maybe in the next 10 years, 15 years. I don't know what would be bigger. But Arch Manning, three schools are on his list. I'm going to talk about who they are, when he'll visit, what I think he should do. I'm going to take a quick break. I will be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, the NBA playoffs are down to four teams. And DraftKings Sportsbook has an incredible offer for first-time users of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Here is the deal. Bet $5 on any team. Just a money line bet, not against the spread, not the over-under, just a $5 money line bet on any team. And if that team wins, you get $150 in free bets. That's right, one team, Boston, Golden State, Milwaukee, Dallas, whoever you like, bet $5 on them. If they win, you get $150 in free cash. Here's what you got to do. Here's how you sign up. Click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Bet $5 on any team, and if your team wins, you get an automatic $150 thanks to our friends at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It's the best offer in sports betting going, so make sure to act now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9 within in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, Louisiana, New York only. 
Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again to our partners, DraftKings, DraftKings Sportsbook. I just told you, incredible offer for first-time users. Make a $5 money line bet on any NBA playoff game. If that team wins, you get $100, $150 in free bets courtesy of DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Just told you about the terms and conditions. Check it all out, but tell them Taurus sent you. With that said, I do want to switch gears, though. I do actually want to talk a little bit of college football recruiting. We don't do a ton of recruiting here on this podcast, especially in terms of college football and especially in terms of individual players, and it's for one simple reason, right? Um, I think there's times to talk recruiting if it's team if it's team specific, if, if Lincoln Riley's cleaning up in the portal, if Texas A&M is signing. Like, there's interesting stories there, but with the individual players, it's a little bit harder because most of these guys are not going to really have an impact on college football for another two, three, four years down the road. This isn't college basketball where Cade Cunningham or Paolo Bancaro or Ty Ty Washington or whomever can step on the court and have an immediate impact. And so I'm always hesitant to dive too deep into high school football recruiting on this show when it comes to individual players. With that said, though, there is a recruit whose name is so big, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about him, especially because we're starting to get a little bit of clarification on his recruitment. That player, his name is Arch Manning. I think all of you know the deal, but for those of you who don't, it's pretty straightforward. He is the grandson of Archie Manning. He is the son of Cooper Manning. And most importantly, he is the nephew of Eli Manning and Peyton Manning. And he is currently going into his senior year of high school, just finished his junior year. We have entered the summer. Next year, he will be a senior where he is the number one player in the high school class of 2023. Well, this weekend, we certainly got an update on his recruitment. I don't want to say it's a definitive final three, but he did announce that he is taking three visits in the month of June to colleges, and I think we can now start to figure out, okay, it seems like he's really narrowed down his list, so let's get into what schools make sense, what schools don't, and where he could ultimately end up. First of all, for people who missed the headline on Saturday, the three schools at Arch Manning, again, the nephew of Peyton and Eli, son of Cooper, grandson of Archie. The three schools that he will be visiting, he will be visiting the defending champion Georgia Bulldogs. How about my dogs? Be visiting Georgia on June 3rd through 5th. The following weekend, he will be visiting Alabama. Pretty good program. You probably heard about him. Of course, probably heard about him last segment when I was talking about Alabama. And then on the third weekend of June, he will visit the Texas Longhorns. And so I'm not saying that's the only three. But those three seem to very much be a, in the, a factor and in the mix for Arch Manning. And so let's break it down. Let's discuss because I do think it's going to be fascinating to see where he goes, what comes out of this, and frankly, just how this recruitment unfolds over the next couple weeks, the next month, and maybe into the school year itself. First of all, I think what makes this, this recruitment extra fascinating, it's hard to get any real good information out of the Manning camp. It's really interesting. If you follow this stuff even tangentially, the family keeps saying something to the effect of, we want this to be a normal recruitment for Arch. Only their version of normal is not the new normal in 2022. They're handling the recruitment as if it's 1994 and Peyton and Eli are still in high school because you can't get very much out of, out, out of the camp. Uh, Archie doesn't do interviews. The dad doesn't do interviews. The son, Archie, uh, you know, Arch Manning does not do interviews. 
And so really outside of every once in a while, his high school coach will kind of give just a, a generic, boring update. It's really hard to know. It's really hard to get any accurate information out of this camp. And then more importantly, and I think for this conversation, it makes it hard to even know what Arch Manning is looking for in his next college, right? I think this is important, right? Is, is that, you know, any recruit, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, softball, gymnastics, they do enough interviews. You start to get a feel for what they're looking for in a college. Is it a relationship with a coach? Is it, uh, you know, the, the fastest track to the NFL or NBA or Major League Baseball? Uh, is it playing with other good players? Is it being part of a great program? Is it be building a great program? And so because Arch Manning really doesn't do interviews, because the family doesn't do any real interviews, that's what makes this recruiting recruitment especially fascinating. It's hard to really know even what this kid is looking for, and it's kind of fascinating because the three schools that he is visiting, and again, I'm not saying they're the only schools he's considering, but the three schools he's visiting offer him something completely different, right? Texas is the school. If you go there, if you elevate them, you are a god forever because we have been waiting for Texas to be back for 20 years, and it has not happened. If you go to Georgia, I think you can elevate them in a different way. They're just coming off this national championship, but you could really take them into the 21st century in terms of how they play, style of play, opening it up on offense. And then, of course, with Alabama, it's just the safest bet for any recruit because it just is. And so let's get into it. Let's talk about the pluses and minuses because I, I do think it's fascinating that it's really hard to have any idea where he could go, what he could do, and what is actually the best option for him. Obviously, the one that kind of stands out to me right now is Texas. Now, I will say, it's very hard to get any information out of the camp, but there is buzz that Texas might be the favorite in this Arch Manning sweepstakes. He's known Steve Sarkeesian for a while. When he first started his recruitment, he, uh, Steve Sarkeesian was at Alabama. He goes to Texas, and by all accounts, the two have a really good relationship. Obviously, if he looks at Texas, he's going to trust Steve Sarkeesian, and what I will say is a couple things. For all the criticism of Steve Sarkeesian, his offenses are awesome. Two more importantly, if you look at the trajectory, if we're to assume that Quinn Ewers, who transferred from Ohio State, is going to be the starter this year, then the timeline kind of works out pretty nicely for Arch Manning. He can come in in year one, which would be not this coming fall, but the next one, Quinn Ewers would be going into his third year of college football. And then if that happens, if Quinn Ewers is as good as we think, Arch Manning doesn't have to come in right away. He doesn't have to be the savior of the program. He can sit behind Quinn Ewers for a year. He can learn. And then if Quinn Ewers is good enough, guess what? Quinn Ewers goes to the pros after his junior year, and Arch Manning steps in as a redshirt freshman or sophomore and takes over the reins. And so if you look at the timing of it, it really is kind of a best-case scenario for Arch Manning. And I think it, you know if, if you're really thinking about this from 360 degrees, that kind of makes sense and works out well for Arch Manning. The downside with Texas, of course, and it is an important one, the program is still kind of a mess. This isn't a criticism, Texas fans, it's just a reality. This is the program that just a month ago had a player during spring practice basically saying, as we talked about with Jordan Addison last week, eh, some of these guys aren't really committed and are they really focused and they're spending too much time down in Austin having a good time, blah, 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 blah. But if you're Arch Manning, this is where my concern would be if I was advising him. What I would say is, dude, are you sure you want to go to a school with the, the temperature barometer of Texas right now? They're coming off a 5-7 and seven year. And by the way, what happens if they go 5-7 and seven again this year? I'm not wishing it on them. I'm not saying they're terrible. I'm not saying I don't like Steve Sarkeesian. They go 5-7 and seven again this year. The school you commit to, that coach might not be there. 
What if they go like seven and five where it's good enough where you keep Steve Sarkeesian, but it's not really good enough where anybody has any confidence? Then what happens if you get there and Steve Sarkeesian gets fired when you get there? So to me, I'm not wishing any ill will on Sark, and I'm not saying it's going to happen. But what I am saying is that has to be a concern for Arch Manning, is if you go to Texas, unless Steve Sarkeesian has an unbelievable season this year, and by the way, you're still probably going to commit before the season starts, unless Steve Sarkeesian has this unbelievable 10-2, and 11-1 type season, it's going to always be this perpetual where one or two losses away from uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian's hot seat heating up, and is that what you want to put your entire career on? I know there's the one-time transfer rule, but nobody goes to a school expecting a transfer. With Georgia, I think it's a little bit different. Listen, they're awesome. They're the defending champs. Those are my dogs, baby. I won't do the bark again too much. But you go to Georgia, my concern would be pretty straightforward. Exactly what you think. Now, on a positive side, obviously, look, Kirby is a freaking recruiting machine, and that's not going to stop as long as he's there because, you know, we talk a ton about Texas A&M and this and that. I mean, Georgia just, their recruiting base in Georgia is incredible. They've obviously expanded outside of that. I think Kirby has been smart in the transfer portal, brought in Darian Kendrick last year uh, from Clemson. So I bring it up because Kirby's really recruiting in all phases. He's recruiting locally. He's recruiting nationally. He's hitting the portal well. And the one thing you won't have to worry about at Georgia is there is always going to be talent around you. There's going to be skill position talent. There's going to be offensive line talent. There's going to be running back talent. There's going to be defensive talent, no doubt about it. But I guess my concern would be pretty straightforward. Kirby Smart can sell you a bill of goods and promise you that, yeah, we're going to open it up and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. We're going to do all sorts of things here at Georgia. But when it push comes to shove and when it's crunch time and when it's time for you to, yes, help Georgia win games, but also display your talent for the NFL, is Kirby Smart really going to open it up, or is he going to default to what he knows, which is defense, run game, win games that way? Obviously, it's not as though there hasn't been NFL talent on Georgia's campus before. Most notably, most of you probably remember, Justin Fields was at Georgia, and Kirby Smart had absolutely no idea how to use Justin Fields, and Justin Fields left after a year because Jake Fromm was still there. Now, I know it's easy It's easy to criticize now. Jake Fromm was winning games, whatever. But the bottom line remains that Justin Fields, yes, it worked out in the end, but he committed to Georgia under the pretense that there were th- certain things that were going to be done for him or help him develop as a quarterback, and it just never happened. JT Daniels this year, I know he's maybe was a little bit overrated, but this is a former five-star that never, uh, whatever. I'm not going to criticize the Georgia staff with JT Daniels, but I do think it's important he gets replaced by Stetson Bennett And yes, Stetson Bennett has a great national championship game. And yes, Georgia is not the national champion if Stetson Bennett doesn't play the way that he does against against Alabama. But let's also not bury the lead here and say that uh, there was still almost a sense of pride, if you will, from Georgia of like, yeah, you know... uh, I don't know. I don't know how to say this without offending Stetson Bennett, but it's very clear that that Stetson Bennett was not maybe the key reason why they won the national championship. And so that would be my only concern with Georgia. You know you're going to have a ton of talent around you. You know you're going to have opportunities. You know you're going to win a lot of games. You're going to win the SEC East. You're going to compete for national championships every year. But are you going to be able to develop your skill set and be, have that skill set on display? You certainly don't want to be Justin Fields 2.0 and have to go somewhere else. Finally, there's Bama, and Bama, we talked about it with Jordan Addison last week. It it speaks for itself, and to me, 
I have no idea what this kid wants or what he is looking for out of a program. And again, I don't think any of us do except maybe the inner, inner, inner circle. It'd be tough for me to turn down Bama, though, if you're a quarterback. I mean, first of all, the track record speaks for itself. Last three quarterbacks that have started there and have since left are all starters in the NFL right now. Jalen Hurts with Philly, Tua Tonka-Viola at Miami, and uh, Mac Jones with the New England Patriots. Bryce Young is going to be at worst a top three pick this next season, a Heisman Trophy winner. And so you know they can develop quarterbacks. What's a positive sign, in my opinion, is it's now happened under multiple coordinators. They've developed NFL starters under Lane Kiffin. Under Steve Sarkeesian, now Bill O'Brien is their offensive coordinator and Bryce Young won the Heisman. And so that's important to me because we know that all these coaches at Alabama are going to have other opportunities likely as head coaches. And if the offensive coordinator leaves, you know that Nick Saban is still going to go out and hire a guy that's going to put you in position to succeed. Second of all, the track record speaks for itself. All these guys put up big numbers. Um, Mac Jones and Tua and Jalen Hurts were all, well, Jalen Hurts was the SEC Offensive Player of the Year. I know that. I don't know if he was a Heisman finalist. I know he was at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. Don't know if he was at Alabama. But Tua was a Heisman finalist. I still think he got robbed. I think he should have won. Um, and then Kyler, uh, Kyler, and then Mac Jones was a Heisman finalist as well. So multiple coordinators, multiple coaching staffs, multiple whatever. As long as Nick Saban is there, the last three quarterbacks have made the NFL and produced at the, at the, at the college level. Like Georgia, you know the talent around, he's going to be elite. Talked about it with Jordan Addison. Five different wide receivers have been drafted in the last three years by Bama. And to me, this is sort of, it's sort of a no-brainer. Now look, what I would also say is just because these three are getting visits, it doesn't mean that they're the only ones. Obviously, um, the school that is intriguing is Ole Miss. I think everybody knows, but that's where Eli Manning went. That's where the grandfather went. It doesn't seem as though Arch is as seriously considering it. I don't know if it's, you know, he doesn't think the talent's going to be good enough around him. I don't know if he doesn't have the best relationship with Lane Kiffin, although I've, I've heard that he has. I don't know if it's the fact that, um, you know, Lane Kiffin might just leave for another job. I, my sense is if, if Lane Kiffin got Arch Manning, he ain't going anywhere for three years. But there's other schools in the mix, but those appear to be the three. Like I said with Jordan Addison, I'm not telling anybody where to go. But if it was up to me, it's almost a no-brainer. You gotta go. I mean, don't you have to go to Alabama? And again, not claiming that I have inner knowledge, not claiming that I know the family, not saying that I know the deepest, darkest secrets of the Manning family uh, uh, recruitment here with Arch Manning. But when you look at everything, when you look at Sark, when you look at the present and future of Texas, when you look at the fact that they're a two, three-game losing streak away from potentially, 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 potentially being right back on the hot seat, when you look at the fact that Georgia just has not developed NFL quarterbacks, I don't even know how it's a debate. Now, you can argue there's some other schools that are interesting. Ohio State is obviously interesting, although they just got the, the number one quarterback in the class of 2024. USC is interesting with Lincoln Riley. But if you're asking me to choose of those three, there's no doubt in my mind that I would go to Alabama. But I'll tell you this, this is going to be fascinating. It's going to be a great, fascinating, interesting recruitment. And I'm curious to see what happens next. Three visits set up by, by in June and we might get an answer soon because, remember, with these high school quarterbacks, they like to commit early so they can help bring in the rest of the class, have no idea what Arch Manning is going to do. But if it was up to me, I would tell him, go to Bama. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to wrap on some college hoops. How about my boy Mike effing Woodson? Trace Jackson Davis is back. Indiana, I believe, is the Big Ten favorite next year, plus one transfer is coming back to college basketball, 
And it's a doozy. It's a very, very, very interesting one. And it could mean big things for one team. We'll discuss that next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Uh, do want to switch to college hoops. Do want to wrap with two stories from the weekend because I thought they were both pretty important in terms of the landscape of college basketball, both about returning players, one to the school that he was at, another player who will return to college basketball but elect to transfer that I do think could have big consequences. And really, we're starting to get to the point in the summer, point in the spring, Well, we're not going to have very much to talk about before everything is official. We have our roster set for next year, and we start looking ahead to 2022-2023. Obviously, the the high school players are all set. The NBA draft deadline is coming up on June 13th. We still have a few transfers it's worth noting, but really, as we inch towards that NBA draft deadline... We are officially really about two, two and a half weeks away from having full clarification on exactly what college basketball will look like, but obviously there are also still a lot of big decisions that are left to be made. On Monday's show, I talked about the biggest stay or go draft decisions that remain. Uh, some of the players, Drew Timmy, Jalen Wilson, Christian Brown from Kansas, uh, you know, Max Christie I talked about has already decided to stay in the draft. But one guy that I actually did miss on Monday's show, shame on me, give myself a little slap on the wrist, well... It was Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana, really talented player, a guy that this past season averaged 18 points, eight rebounds, uh, two and a half blocks per game, was better at the rim than people realize, but Trace Jackson Davis is a really good college basketball player that frankly just does not project as a great NBA player, even though he was testing the draft process this spring. Why am I talking about Trace Jackson Davis? It is because... On Friday, Trace Jackson Davis made an announcement on what his future is, stay or go, college or NBA, Indiana or the pros. And on Friday, drumroll please, that was a good one, okay. On Friday, 
Trace Jackson Davis Jr., Univer Indiana University, announces he is coming back to Indiana, baby. That's right, Mike Effin Woodson. How about my boy Mike Effin Woodson? And let me just say this. It sounds crazy, people. Indiana is going to enter next year, or they should enter next year, as the favorites to win the Big Ten in basketball. It sounds crazy, but let's get into it. First of all, just quickly, shout out to Trace Jackson Davis, man. I mean, listen, this is a kid that very clearly likes playing college basketball, very clearly loves being a Hoosier. He's from the state of Indiana. And just credit to him, man, for doing things on his own timeline. I remember in the uh, spring after his freshman year, I actually had Archie Miller, who was then the Indiana head coach on this podcast. It was what ultimately was Archie Miller's final season in Indiana. And we talked about Trace. And Trace, after a really good freshman year, didn't even enter the NBA draft. Just said, I know I'm not ready. I'm not going to consider it. I'm going to stay, return to college basketball. And, and, and Arch talked a lot at that point about just he being his own man, trusting his own timeline, all that good stuff. Last year, Archie Miller gets fired, Mike Woodson comes in, and there's that little window where Trace Jackson Davis considers leaving Indiana, but even before the draft process really gets going, announces that he is in fact returning to Indiana to play for Mike Woodson. This year does go through the NBA draft process and announces that again, he will come back one final time for his senior year. Now, I understand he's not a high-level NBA draft prospect. I understand that there is going to be NIL money. But if this was about stuff not related to seriously, like, like, let me rephrase. If this kid just did not enjoy being a college basketball player, I cannot imagine that he would be back for another season, only that is exactly what he's doing. And as I said, he will now be the face of one of the, the more intriguing teams, I think, in college basketball going into next season. You look at Indiana. I mean, I'm just telling you, in, in a Big Ten where just about everybody lost pieces, which we'll get into in a minute, Indiana brings an awful lot back. First of all, as I said, Trace Jackson Davis, really good college basketball player. Now, how he projects as a pro, I don't know. He does not have three-point range at this point in his career, only attempted three in his junior season, did not make any. But in terms of a college basketball player, oh, he's really good. 18 points, eight rebounds, two and a half blocks per game, really good around the rim, really confident. And he, again, was just the star of an, of an Indiana team that made the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2016 this past season. What's crazy, though, is if you look at what returns around him, Indiana's, they, they have a chance to be really good. And it's funny because this is not a criticism, Indiana fans, but obviously it has been a while since you have had a team that looks this good on paper. And it sounds crazy in a Big Ten that for the last five, six years has been dominated by Illinois and Ohio State and uh, Michigan State and Michigan, what Indiana could possibly be next season. First of all, one of my favorite players in college basketball, loved how he developed over the course of this past season. Xavier Johnson's back. I should say, even before I talk about the individual roster, it's worth noting that in total, five of the top six scorers off, again, a team that made an NCAA tournament last year are back. So first of all, at the very least, Indiana, five of their top six scorers off an NCAA tournament team. Remember, they were in the first four. They beat Wyoming. They lose to St. Mary's in the opening round. But you have five of the top six scorers back. Trace Jackson Davis, I believe, is an, a first-team All-American type candidate. Once you get past him, the guy that I was just about to mention, Xavier Johnson, I fell in love with that guy over the course of the season. Early on, he's a little erratic, turns the ball over too much, plays too fast. But I'll tell you, 
in the Big Ten tournament when Indiana needed to win games to solidify their NCAA tournament opportunity and availability to make the NCAA tournament, Xavier Johnson was at times, I thought, the best player on the floor. You go back and look at some of those games, 20 points in a near upset of Iowa, 17 points against Michigan. If you remember, they played in that 8-9 game in the Big Ten tournament, and at the time, we thought that the loser of that game, Michigan or Indiana, both teams were on the bubble. We thought that the loser of that game might not make the NCAA tournament, and to, 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 to some degree, if Indiana had not won that game, they might not have made the NCAA tournament, but Xavier Johnson, 17.7 assists in that game, 13.6 assists in an upset over the number one seed, Illinois, which punched Indiana's tournament ticket, and then a 20-point performance against Iowa. So I thought by the end of the year, Xavier Johnson was one of the better guards in college basketball. Beyond him, beyond Trace Jackson Davis, Race Thompson is back for another year. Good low post player. Yes, his game is very similar to Trace Jackson Davis, but they've played together for three years. I think they figure out a way to make it work. 11.7.5 rebounds. And then on top of that, on the wing, Miller Kopp is back. Six points per game, 36% three-point shooter. And Trey Galloway as well. And if they only brought back five out of their top six, that'd be enough for me to say that's a really, really good team. But it's also what my boy Mike Effin Woodson did in recruiting. Remember, the Big Ten did not have a bunch of great recruiting classes this year. You know who had the number one recruiting class in the Big Ten? It was Indiana. Jalen Hood Shafino, big guard, big wing, six foot six, puts the ball on the floor, could do a little bit of everything. McDonald's All American. Oh, he's coming to Indiana. Remember, Malik Renault. Committed about three, four weeks ago. We talked about it here on the podcast, on the YouTube channel. Malik Renault, he actually reminds me a little bit of Trace Jackson Davis. Really good from about 6, 10 feet in, or about, you know, 10 to 12 feet in. Um, you know, a pretty athletic, really good player. Top 30 player in high school basketball. Was committed to Florida and Mike White. Decommits when Mike White leaves. And now he's headed to Indiana as well. And also never forget, Tamar Bates was a five-star in last year's high school class, got a little bit of a late start, but should be a potential breakout player in the Big Ten this year. And so, yeah, Indiana lost a few pieces at the end of their bench, but you look at their roster, that top seven, that top eight, and I'm not even including Jordan Geronimo, who could be a potential breakout player, really, really, really athletic kid uh, that I I think has a chance to be really, really, really good. Again, you go through this roster, there is an awful lot of talent with two, I believe, first-team All-Big Ten performers in Xavier Johnson and now Trace Jackson Davis, a bunch of veterans, and two really high-upside freshmen and a high-upside sophomore. I'm sure I'm missing a couple other guys, but that is the core of what I believe. Now let's talk in the bigger picture. What I believe is the best team in the Big Ten. And I know some of you are going to say, it's Indiana, they'll never this, they'll always underachieve that. Listen, all I'm telling you is, Indiana, on paper, is the most talented team in the Big Ten coming into next year. I can't tell you who's going to win it. If I had a crystal ball and I could make predictions, I'd go to Vegas right now and throw down a bunch of money on the Super Bowl and the NBA Finals and the World Series. I can't promise you anything. But you look at the rest of the Big Ten, next year is set to be a year of transition. Uh, Ohio State, which obviously just made the NCAA tournament, was talking to somebody at Ohio State uh, uh, earlier this week. They were like, man, we're going to be really young next year. We didn't expect to lose Malachi Branham, who's going to be a first-round pick. We thought he was a two-, three-year college player. E.J. Liddell is gone. He might be a first-round pick. Ohio State is going through transition. Michigan State, I'm telling you, I love Tom Izzo, but he lost Max Christie earlier this week, and I don't really know what to expect from them. Michigan, I think, is the one that's pretty good, 
But they still, as I record, and this is always subject to change, have two guys that are testing the draft waters, Caleb Houston and also Musa Diabite. If those guys don't come back, that's a pretty thin Michigan team around Hunter Dickinson. Illinois obviously lost Kofi Coburn. I like some of the pieces they've added this winter, including Ter or this winter, this spring for next winter, including Terrence Shannon from Texas Tech, including Sky Clark, the former five-star guard who had some injuries, was committed to Kentucky. Now he's going to Illinois. But this is all a long-winded way of me saying all these teams that have been at the top, Purdue, by the way, Purdue does not look very good on paper either after losing Jaden Ivey, Travion Williams, etc. Indiana people is the team to beat. So I, you know, it, it's it's May. We don't want to overreact. But listen, what do I always tell you? We have to live in the moment. We have to talk in reality in terms of, okay, what do we know right now? What it, we can only do. The, I say it all the time. The show is today. My old radio partner, Arnie Spanier, always used to say that. He said, the show is tonight, Aaron. And what that essentially means is we can't start guessing what things could be like six months. Like, we have to use the information at our disposal right now to make opinions about what we believe will happen in the future. And right now, I look at the Indiana Hoosiers, and I believe that they are the best team in the Big Ten, the favorites in the Big Ten going into next year. How about my boy Mike F. and Woodson? Indiana fans, Aaron Torres, online.com slash merchandise. Make sure you get your shirt. Also, make sure to subscribe to this YouTube channel. The Hoosiers are back, baby. They are unquestionably, in my opinion, one of the most intriguing teams in college basketball heading into next year. All right, last little topic before we get out of here, and that was that we did get news on another player potentially returning to college basketball that I think, like Trace Jackson Davis, could have a major impact on next season, and that is Matthew Mayer, who played the last four years at Baylor. Matthew Mayer, really talented player. We'll get into we'll get into it about him in a minute. But the difference between him and Trace Jackson Davis is like Trace Jackson Davis, he went ahead and entered the NBA draft, but he also decided that prior to that May 1st deadline, he was going to leave all of his options open and enter the transfer portal. He decided, you know, he's kind of said publicly that his focus is going to be on the NBA draft, that he will see where the NBA draft takes him, but that if it doesn't work out, if he does return to college basketball, he will be transferring from Baylor where he has played the last few days. Well, the last few years, excuse me. Well, on Saturday, Adam Zagoria from SNY, based in New York, I believe he was at the NBA Draft Combine in Chicago. He reported that Matthew Mayer is in fact going to withdraw from the NBA Draft and return to college basketball. And let me just say, this could be a huge story because I believe that he could end up in a very, very key and crucial spot for one specific team. First of all, in terms of Matthew Mayer, I think everybody who's watched college basketball the last three or four years, you know who he is. Big kid, big, let's be honest, the big white kid from Baylor who was a key part of their national championship two years ago. This year, he had his best season scoring-wise, just under 10 points per game. But what he has really been known for through his career has been as a great stretch for three-point shooter. This year struggled a little bit from behind the arc, 32.5%. But 2021, during that title run, 39.5% from three. The year before, 38% from three. So this is a guy that has played a lot of high-leverage games in the Big 12, and he has a very unique skill set that is very intriguing for his return to college basketball. Why do I bring it up? 
He is now officially coming back to college basketball, and he is going to be the apple of the eye of quite a few programs. Uh, you know, Adam Zagoria reported this, uh, you know, on Saturday, but a lot of programs have already reached out to him, even though he was fully focused on that NBA draft uh, possibility. It included Texas Tech, it included Memphis, it included Alabama, Arkansas, Illinois. But why it's important and why I'm talking about it, and I will have an extended video about this on YouTube is because there has been a belief essentially since the day that he entered the NBA or the entered the, the transfer portal while still testing the NBA waters that if he came back to college basketball that he would end up at North Carolina and that he would potentially be the missing piece for the Tar Heels. And so I don't want to get go overboard here. We will talk about it on YouTube and we'll talk about it when he commits, but this is a really important development in college basketball. Remember, North Carolina we all remember, made the title game, Hubert Davis, first season as a head coach, and they had as good of a spring as anybody could have possibly had. In total, four starters announced their return, um, and the only place that they did not bring back a player was a guy who simply ran out of eligibility. It was a guy named Brady Manick, big, frankly, let's be honest, white kid, stretch four, hit a bunch of threes, and he was really a crucial cog to North Carolina's run to the national championship game. And so when he graduates, I think there are a lot of people that are saying, yeah, it's great that they're bringing back Caleb Love, and it's great that they're bringing back Armando Baycott, and it's great that they're bringing back this guy and that guy, but how are they going to replace Brady Manick? And if they can't replace Brady Manick, then it's hard to justify them as a preseason number one team, as good as many people think they will be. So why this is important is because you have an individual player that, again, has played in high-leverage games in the Big 12, in the toughest conference maybe in college basketball, is a great three-point shooter, and has the exact skill set that North Carolina needs to complete their 2022-2023 roster. Remember, North Carolina has one scholarship available. So I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds on this one. We got plenty of time. I will have a full reaction video on YouTube. More importantly, when he commits, we will talk about it, especially if it is North Carolina. But this is just a story to keep an eye on. There's a lot of you who have told me, well, North Carolina got lucky during the NCAA tournament, and you wouldn't have him that high. And what about losing Brady Manick? Well, if you can lose Brady Manick and replace him with Matthew Mayer, who's basically his twin, right? White guy, long hair, 6'10", shoots threes, transfer from the Big 12. Brady Manick came from Oklahoma. Matt, Matthew Mayer would be coming from Baylor. It just feels like the perfect fit. And now that it appears that Matthew Mayer is coming back, it will be fascinating to see if this is where he ends up. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is time for me to get out of here. Long show, fun show, great Saturday, mid-May. I should mention, by the way, you know, a couple of news and notes uh, before we get out of here. I know I told you this a few weeks ago, but we are switching hosting platforms that shouldn't frankly mean all that much for you guys. But if for some reason uh, episodes are coming in late or you're not receiving them, please let me know so I can report it to our tech guys. But there should be no major issues going forward. But again, I just want to put it on your radar. Also, next few weeks, probably a few a few fewer episodes than normal. This week will be normal, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But if you remember, this coming week is a holiday weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Many of you will be traveling. I have some commitments, kind of some family commitments. So probably no new episode uh, on next Monday. Uh, next few weeks will be a little bit quieter. But guess what? Once we hit the middle of June, late June, 
it's going to be really time to ramp up for college football. And obviously, look, there's going to be a lot of news in college basketball as well with the portal starting to die down, with NBA draft decisions coming on, all that good stuff. So all I'm trying to tell you is keep an eye on the show. A few less episodes over the next few weeks, but before you know it, it's going to be July, it's going to be August, and we're going to be ramping up for college football. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure you're subscribed. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. We have all the Torres-specific Twitter accounts, so make sure if you're if you're an Alabama fan, Torres on Bama. We got a great young guy, Alabama fan, running that. Torres on the Hogs for Arkansas, Torres on UK, uh, Torres on the Vols, Torres on UConn, on and on. Also, Instagram, Aaron Torres Pod, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, uh, and YouTube. Like I said, we have a lot of great stuff going on on YouTube, so make sure that you are following there as well. But with that said, I think it's time for me to get out of here. I want to thank you guys and girls for listening to today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I will be back on Wednesday. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out, J.J. Reddick, UF head. I saw Bob Cousy come after you, baby. We'll be back on Wednesday with an all-new show. People, have a great week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.